Hello, homeschool friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. I am one of your hosts, Sabrina Justison, and I am here today with Vicki Tillman, and we're going to talk about all things homeschool high school. Today, we're going to spend some time looking at five different ways that your homeschool high schooler can earn credits for that high school transcript. But before we launch into wonderful practical ideas for earning credits, I'm going to rant for a moment about the grocery store, if that's all right. Rant about the grocery store. (laughs) On topic. It's on on topic. topic. It really is. It's it's not really about the grocery store. It's about it's about families. That's what it's really about. And and life skills. And life skills. And yeah. So I was grocery shopping yesterday. And I was checking out, and my cashier was very chatty and, and very friendly. But you know how sometimes you, you meet a total stranger and she begins sort of universally bashing, like, all husbands, all children, all pets? Because I, I, she just assumed that everybody hates their husbands and their kids right. and their pets. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I get the whole, like, you know, women have to have a sense of humor with one another, and we all know what it's like when there's no clean laundry for anyone, and we feel like, well, why is this my fault? I didn't wear all the clothes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I get it. But, um, yeah, if you're my best friend and you want to say something about my kids, that that's fine. If I don't know you... Don't assume that I hate my children. <laughs> Please don't assume that my husband is a complete idiot because that's really kind of too much familiarity, I guess. So I was sending her every um, gently reproachful nonverbal signal <laughs> that I could. And I was sort of trying to positive spin things. You know, well, yes, but they have their, their good points too. And, and it's, it's, but it's not so bad, you know. And she just kept going, yeah, well, you know how men are. <laughs> so all the positive redirects and reframes just weren't going anywhere. Wasn't going anywhere. So I was just glad when my groceries were bagged and I was out of there. Because, um, yeah, when she was 11 years old, someone needed to sit her down and explain that sometimes people become uncomfortable with the conversation. And if they're you know, shifting awkwardly and avoiding eye contact and keep trying to redirect, (laughs) perhaps you should stop saying what you're saying that's making them so uncomfortable. (laughs) Or or get them a copy of Bambi and let them watch. If you can't say something nice, don't don't say say nothing. Yes, and I'm, you know, I'm sure if she had been homeschooled, there would have been lots of opportunities for these conversations to arise naturally in the amount of time that she would have been spending with her homeschooling parents. So there's our segue. It's it's a wonderful thing to actually be with your children, even though they do indeed dirty the clothes and make a mess in the bathroom and eat up all the groceries. And, you know, there are downsides to this whole parenting gig, <laughs> but there are upsides too. Yeah, and we tend to like our kids. We do. And we would really like to have lots of opportunities for good conversations about math and science and social studies, but also about conversational redirects and <laughs> yeah. making strangers uncomfortable in the checkout line. Why are people making that funny face at you? Right, yeah. right. So let's move into the academic realm. 
because there's not actually a spot on the high school transcript for appropriate grocery store checkout line <laughs> behavior. <laughs> that leads, <laughs> under her life skills. There we go. Career exploration. Career, exactly. Career exploration. That would be good. But yes, in the more academic arenas. All mm-hmm. right, so there, there's more than one way to earn a credit because there's not, not one, one right, right way, way to, to homeschool. homeschool. All right, so let's dig into appropriate ways to earn credits at the mm-hmm. high school level. So I think everybody to... everybody kind of goes mm-hmm. textbooks, right? Textbooks and lots of tests, and that's a good, safe way to do it. It is a good, safe way to do it. Mm-hmm. Is that the best way to do it? There's only one right way to homeschool. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think there's probably five or more ways to earn credits, for that homeschool transcript that they all need so they can graduate and prove that they graduated. Wonderful. All right. So if if you go the textbook route, um, let's talk about the pros and cons. Why might one choose to use traditional textbooks to earn a high school credit? So one reason is the college-bound kids will need to be reading college textbooks. And so for kids who haven't done a lot of textbook work, like I don't love textbooks, so we hadn't done tons until my kids got to high school, um, it's good experience to break into, yes, I have to read this boring chapter and they ran out of things to say five pages ago, <laughs> but the publisher makes them put 20 pages in each chapter. Right. Uh, it's just good discipline. Right. Right. You know, it's interesting. I sat in on a, uh, a second grade class last year that my daughter was actually teaching in a traditional public school. And part of what they were doing was um, for their language arts lesson that day, they were examining the different elements of a textbook chapter. And so mm. they were learning what bold type means. And they were uh-huh. learning why there are pictures on some of the pages and what a sidebar is and why some things are in colorful boxes. And I realized that my kids used very few textbooks in the early years. We did a lot of very eclectic, not exactly unschooling, but definitely Mm -hmm. loosey-goosey, delight-directed kind of stuff. And as we got to the end of middle school and I started pulling textbooks in a little bit more, I started realizing that that's not necessarily obvious. And Mm -hmm. especially for some kids who are not very visual, Right. It's good to go over that. Okay, so if you're looking to then review after you've read it, it's not enough to just read it. Right. You're then going to be going back and reviewing, and all of these things are there to make it easier. We should do a blog post on that. Yeah, my my son, who is a middle school teacher, um, actually they have whole days at the beginning of the year where they review how to read a textbook. And, and it is different. Yeah. It's different from a novel or a yeah. whatever else. Yeah. And how to, yeah, how to look for information, how to use that as a way to study for a test. And so that's a, that's a good life skill that in my generation, you just knew. Right. Well, either that or they didn't care to tell you one way or the other. So. Well, textbooks weren't as fancy in our generation either. They're, no, they're they definitely much more intentionally geared. Yeah. Like side boxes in color mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah. All right, cool. So um, a textbook is good college prep. It is also a good tool for a subject where maybe mom does not feel super confident and wants a lot of external structure. Right, yeah. 
Yeah, and it, it's, it just simplifies things in a lot of ways to say, hey, we want to make sure we cover what we need to cover. The textbook is going to do that, and so let's use a textbook. Very good. So what are some downsides to using a textbook? They're boring. Uh, they certainly can be. Except for Seven Sisters of well, <laughs> Yes, indeed, because they're adaptable. No busy work. No overkill. Yeah, yeah. they're pretty nifty. Yeah. But they weren't around back when we first started homeschooling our kids no. because they came out of our experiences homeschooling our kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so they can be boring. They can be expensive. Oh, indeed, yes. Mm-hmm. And as you're looking at your high school homeschooling dollars and making them go as far as you can get them to go, right. um, it can be very wise to choose a couple of subjects to not use a traditional text in where you really don't need that much external structure because you can save a lot of money. Right, right. And there are creative ways to do textbooks where you need to use them. So like our, our homeschool umbrella school has a lending library and families will donate older textbooks. And the digital courses like Seven Sisters Homeschool, um, digital texts are, are much more cheaper. Yeah. 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 Printing and warehousing and shipping costs are so much of what you're paying for right. when you buy a traditional textbook. And it's a mm -hmm. lovely thing when you can find a digital alternative. Mm -hmm. So, um, are there particular subjects that lend themselves more toward textbooks than other subjects? Well, of course, for me, because I'm not a math person, so math being a weak area, we always, even when they were little kids, mm -hmm. we used math textbooks. I did, too. I, I'm trying to think if I know of anyone personally who did high school math without a math textbook and I don't think I've yep. ever met anyone yeah. I, I think that's one of those it's kind of a gimme that you yeah. past elementary school even the creative mathy moms went to textbooks that, yeah. that we've known yeah so that's that's a good one um science I yeah. think often um yeah because there's so the high much, school level yeah and uh also courses obviously that you don't know so if you're like, if you want your kid to have human development and you've not done human development since college, a textbook is good. And then you're not creating everything yourself. Right. Very good. Okay. Um, let's talk about a different way to earn a credit. If you are not using a textbook, a wonderful hands-on experiential eclectic way to earn a credit would be to log hours and earn Carnegie units. So can Indeed. you explain a little bit about what they are? and how you earn them? So high schools tend to be based on a Carnegie unit credit. So if you go to Carnegie's website and um, they're the ones who came up with this, golly, I think around the turn of the 1900s, uh, they decided that 120 hours of education covered a topic well. And then states have adapted that up to 180 hours, just according to which state you're in. So we're in the... <laughs> Sorry. So if it's 180 hours in your state, that means that apparently everyone who lives there is a slow learner? What, what does this mean? <laughs> or they really like learning? Wow. That, yeah, that's it. It's, they, it's they love really education. Run with it. Yeah. Wow, 180 is yeah. a lot of hours. Lot I didn't hours. realize it went that high. Yeah. Okay. And in our area, it's 135. Mm -hmm. And then lab courses are an extra 30. So, and, and basically then for Carnegie credits, so a hands-on 
class where you're doing activities and, and experiential learning, those courses, you log hours, you just document each day what you're doing until you get that 135 or 180 or whatever your state is requiring. Now, this may sound like a dumb question to some people, but I guarantee that there are some literal folks, because I've met them, who want to be told very specifically, does this have to be done in one hour at a time? Because if you're in a traditional school, you typically have the 45 to 55 minute yeah. class period. Uh -huh. And until that whole class is done, it... so when you're talking about logging hours, are you logging hour chunks that it has to be like that degree of focus and intensity? Or can you do bits <laughs> and pieces and stick them together with Elmer's glue? Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So if yeah. you did a half hour of something on one day and yeah. you did an hour and 45 minutes of something on another day, you can just write down yeah. the time. So our, our kids kept, you know, like a grid. It looked like a calendar and they would just write down what they did and for how long they did it. So each square on the grid stood for about an hour's time. So if they spent... 50 minutes on it, that was close enough to an hour. If they spent an hour and five minutes, oh, well, it's That's just an, an hour. hour. Mm -hmm. And so there would be one subject on that grid. So it wouldn't be a mix of subjects. And that way they knew when they got through, if there were 25 squares on a page, when they got through, was that five pages? You know, they were well at their Carnegie unit. Very good. So this works great for field trippy kinds of things mm -hmm. and... Um, experiment kind of stuff and observations and yeah. um, projecty things. Yeah, so, so kids who really need to do, like, explore an idea for history. So our, our kids who have a good foundation of American history or world history and want to really just experience for a year, then they'll, they'll do a history credit by Carnegie Unit. So fine arts is a good... Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Phys ed. Phys ed, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. And then elective areas, I would imagine, often lend themselves to at least being part Carnegie units. Yeah. Oh, now there's a question. Yeah. And you come up with a credit that you used a textbook for some of it and a Carnegie unit approach for some of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we call it, how convenient, combining credits. There you go. How's that for obvious? <laughs> so if you go to sevensistershomeschool.com, there's three posts on that. You can just search for that on ways to combine textbooks and um, reading real books mm -hmm. and, and then logging hours so that you get the best like combination of things for your individual student. So we found that reading 16 books... If they're, you know, especially in history, I had a history buff kid, and he wanted to read real books. And so we found 16 put him well over the um, the Carnegie requirement, because he would write and then do a summary. And so that's Very one good. way to do it. Very good. Okay, so let's jump to something completely different, and let's explore putting our homeschool high schooler into a class. Yeah. Can we do that? We could do that. And still be homeschoolers? Because it's not one right way to homeschool. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? And part yeah. of the best part of homeschooling in community is being able to create classes. Yeah. We are, we are so blessed in our area. We've had a, a co-op that our kids have been, well, different co-ops. So just according to the time and the season, 
that uh, all of our kids have been in, and uh, that's been so good for them. Oh, yes. And then we have the homeschool umbrella school, which is just a group of families all together, and lots of kids in that. Yeah. And a class does not have to be something that meets five days a week, and it doesn't mm. have to be something that has 20 bodies in the room. And there, there are lots of situations um, that will create themselves. Yeah. But one of the things that I know was really good for my kids with their classes in high school was that they had somebody other than mom for a teacher. Yeah. And it wasn't just that they were tired of me. I mean, really, who could be tired of me? me? I mean, come on. (laughs) But no, it wasn't just for the variety. It was teaching them to follow someone else's teaching. Yeah. Because I have my style. They have their learning style, but I have my teaching style, too. And it was very good for them to have to... For example, I, I can remember... Um, each of them taking an essay class with Marilyn, Seven Sister Marilyn. And Marilyn is much more structured and much more um, checkbox kind mm-hmm. of, you know, and and that whole kind of loose, oh, you forgot to turn your thing in, we'll just send it to me in the next day by email. That didn't really work for her. No. So it was very good for my distracted, a bit disorganized (laughs) children to be in one of her classes where Mm -hmm. things had to be done a certain way, handed in a certain way at a certain time. And that, that kind of, and and to know what the rubric looked like for how things were going to be graded. Right. Pardon me. Um, So that, that exposure to different teaching styles, not just for college bound kids, because kids who go right into the workforce are going to have bosses and they're going to have workplace structure and protocols that they're going to have to be able to, to just learn. learn that and and be cooperative with that and not say well that's not the way I do it so right also in a class situation in all of our co-ops and the umbrella school classes we always had syllabus syllabi syllabi, syllabi. syllabi. we had more than one syllabus for all the different classes <laughs> Dear sir, I would like to order a mongoose. Dear sir, I would like to order another mongoose, please. <laughs> Sorry. He must have taught Latin or something. Oh, I love that. <laughs> is it mongoose? Really? No, it can't be. But mongooses is just all wrong. So we had a syllabus for each class. Right? And, and for kids to learn how to read that syllabus and learn to translate that into how they do homework and, and direct their own learning is such a good, like, it's a life skill because it's, it's self-discipline. But and for time the, management. Oh, my, yeah. yeah. And uh, college-bound kids, I mean, that's how college works, that's is right. you read your syllabus and you structure that so that you are successful. Right. I think it's good for homeschool teachers, too. I think it's good for us parents to have to create a syllabus because you can have a whole lot of freedom within your syllabus, but... To have that really keeps you accountable to stay on top of moving your class through the things that you... Right. Keeps keeps you on task. Good stuff. All right. What about specialty classes that are getting them ready for testing, like AP or CLEP tests? Yeah. 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 What do you need for that? What do you need to think about if you're considering? All right. So, so that's a good question. And, and people will ask us about AP periodically because they would want to say, you know, my kid worked really hard, so I want to give them an AP credit on their transcript. And I always warn them, you can't use the letters AP on your transcript unless it's a college board approved AP course. 
So there's, you know, you have to submit the curriculum to them and they have to approve it. But kids can sit for an AP test if they, if they are approved, you know, by the college board to do that. And they may earn college credit for that. Um, they can get CLEP credit by um, studying ahead of time and, and taking the CLEP test. And that may get them some college credit according to the college. So the CLEPs are sometimes not accepted at some colleges. You just have to check the college website. People always have to check college websites. Yeah, it varies a lot, doesn't mm -hmm. it, from one school to another. And there is no cookie cutter where you could just go there. I know that my kid is now set for any school right. to which he might apply. It's it's something you want to explore. Yeah. And you also want to talk to colleges about how they translate the AP test score into the, the transcript. So some colleges will actually assign credit and a grade according to what their AP score is. So if the kids just barely squeaked by oh. and got credit, but it's like a C, and the college records that as part of the GPA, Gotcha. That's not so hot. So Never about there, that. there's win-loses. You know, some kids will get a lot of AP courses under their belts. And in a real competitive college, that helps them register before the other kids. So they get a little okay. better selection of courses. But every college varies. That's, there's just no way around visiting colleges, websites, and then going face-to-face -face and saying, what do you do with these courses? Very good. So in the same way that we want our kids to experience a variety of teachers in high school so that they can learn to follow different sets of protocols and expectations yeah. and ask questions, we need to model that. And when we're helping our kids explore colleges, we've got to it's do work. our homework and mm -hmm. ask questions. And yeah. yeah, it is work. It is work. But it pays off. Indeed. Because you really can pull your pieces together and have a good outcome. All right, so we're talking about colleges. What about a kid in high school going ahead and taking a class at a college? All right, so there's two ways to look at that, or a blend thereof, because there's not one there's right not. way to homeschool. So um, kids who want to go ahead and take some college courses, it's a very fashionable thing to do, so it's pretty easy once they get to be junior year. This is what people refer to as dual enrollment, right? Right. You're enrolled in high school, but you're also enrolled at the college taking college classes. Right, okay. right. And so colleges will offer courses online sometimes, or they may require that you go to campus and take courses there. So that helps kids earn some college credit while they're still in high school and get some things under their belt, if that's important to the family. So the thing I, I, I warn families about taking a lot of college courses during high school is those grades go on the transcript. So don't go signing your kids up for oodles of classes if they're not mature enough to succeed. Because they'll end up with a college transcript that has subpar grades on it, perhaps. And right. those can't ever go away. They're, they're there. They're there. They're there. And if there's scholarships riding on the GPA, then that's risky. Makes sense. Yeah. So you, you want to make sure they've got the maturity to do that. Also, you want to make sure they transfer because you can go pay oodles of money for these college classes and they not be transferable to another college. 
Ah, so especially if you're using a local community college, you mm -hmm. want to be sure that there's an agreement then for their credits to transfer right. to or other universities. and Yeah. Okay. So the way you do it is you go to the, the transfer university and say, what do you, do you accept? accept? Okay. So this, this is work, but life is work. And if you want to do that, it takes some research so that you are not just throwing money down the tubes. So, so let's let's talk a little bit about the non-academic piece of enrolling your high schooler in college courses because mm, maturity-wise, character-wise, stress-wise, mm -hmm. kids are at very different levels at the age of 17, say. Mm -hmm. um, so for some kids, they are just ready. They're just itching to get out there and their critical thinking skills are excellent and they're socially fairly comfortable and... And you've got some kids who are very, very bright, but for whom the experience of taking classes alongside kids who are a couple of years older and where the environment mm -hmm. is is more um, edgy in a lot of cases, I guess, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. the word. I don't know. Um, I think I've seen, I know that I have seen some kids who academically performed well in a class, but for whom it took years off their life. It was just a little too much too soon, and they felt like they were swimming in a pond that was too big for them. Yeah. And... Well, as, as academic advisor for 18 years, I, I sometimes ran into parents who were so concerned about the future. Like, we got to get these college courses under our belts before they graduate. Like, it was a pressure that the parents were feeling. Right. And so what they were doing is pushing kids through this academic setting that it wasn't socially going to prepare them because they were kind of lost, mm -hmm. you know? So they're the ones sitting in the back of the classroom trying to be embarrassed, I mean, trying not to be embarrassed. But also then that took high school away from the kids. Right. So the teen years where they're supposed to be developing their identity and having life experiences and doing volunteer work and building extracurriculars and career exploration and, you know, life involvement is gone because they're studying college level stuff. Right. Right. That's a really that's a really good thought. And similarly, this is not on our on our little uh, script for today, but similarly, having your kid work while they're in high school. Yeah. Have them work at a job that is a great fit for that child, for the goals that you have for that child, for your family. I, I can remember a friend when I was in high school a million and a half years ago <laughs> and her her family was all about work ethic mm -hmm. and she worked at a, I don't even think you could do this now, probably, but she worked at, at like a little convenience store thing, but it was open until one in the morning. And at 17 years old, she was frequently working a closing shift there. Mm -hmm. So she was coming home at 2 a.m. on school nights sometimes. Mm -hmm. And she was one crispy critter. She was so fried by the end of high school because, yeah, she was developing a great work ethic, but she was also working so many hours so late at night that just being a teenager and going to high school right. and taking her classes was just exhausting. So when I get, yeah, and the, a lot of times our homeschoolers will get jobs in high school. And Which to is make great. Sure, I'm, not, I'm not slamming that at all. Oh, Several yeah. of my kids had jobs in high school and it yeah. was wonderful. Yeah. yeah, but that teaching them work-life balance. So what, what I have done with my kids and the kids that I see getting out of balance as I've advised them is make them do time audits. 
and Ooh. just sit down and there's a post at Seven Sisters Homeschool about, about time audits and and teach them as a life skill how to do that and they they audit their time for a couple of weeks and then sit down with the Lord and say is this what you want mm. my time to look like because sometimes what happens is our kids are such good employees that bosses will accidentally overschedule them. Yep. And I have actually called up, not my kid, other kids, <laughs> my advise these kids and say, are you following state regulations on that? Uh-huh. Because they're working the kids to death and the kids hadn't learned to assert themselves and say, uh, no, I can't do that. Good one. Good, good stuff. And that, you know, that is part of our job in high school is to teach our kids to advocate for themselves appropriately too, because mm-hmm. the world is not going to take care of them. And they will need to draw healthy boundaries. And, um, yeah, so that's that's a good thing, too. Wow. So there's a yeah. lot to think about if you're going to enroll yeah. your high schooler in college classes. And if you're going to have them working, these are all balance yeah. issues to consider. On the positive side, my daughter and one of my sons were both more in the artsy so my daughter was into photography and my son was in cinematography and we ran out of resources at some point and you know couldn't cook up anymore how to do this dummies books and so they started taking courses at our community college which had an excellent program for both of those so both of them graduated from the community college with certificates the, the week they graduated from high school. Very cool. So it for my son with the cinematography, that's been an asset as he went through college because he had all these skills and he went into education after that. But it was just, you know, good stuff. And he's taught at his school some cinematography. So that's been a good thing. And my daughter became a photographer. She, she went on to a double major in, um, in art and photography. And so that was, it was an asset to her. Although, you want to know something sad? What's that? She had so many credits going into college. It got her some good scholarships. They loved her there. Cool. But she ran out of things she could take. And her dean came to her and told her at the beginning of her senior year, I'm sorry, dear, but you have to graduate in December. (laughs) Okay, that's such a homeschool story. (laughs) And so, which saved her a whole semester of money, which now that she's older, she appreciates that less. But at the time, looking toward graduation with her friends. You know, and she was so mad because she, you know, had this little teeny tiny graduation and all of her friends were graduating in June. Isn't that funny? So you just don't know those things ahead of time. You don't. You don't know. And that, that's, that's very, that's such a homeschool kind of story. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're too accomplished. You're going to have to graduate now. <laughs> All right, well, let's look at one final um, option for earning credits. If you're not actually going to enroll in a college class, what about an online course? Wonderful opportunities these days to do online classes. They are all over the place. I mean, we even have one for parents at Seven Sisters Homeschool. We do, yes. Homeschool High School, you can do it. It's a self-paced online course for you. Not for your kids, but for you. And if you're looking at high school or you're um, early in high school and wondering if you've got all your ducks in a row, it's a fantastic resource. So, yeah, we've even dabbled in it a little bit there. And what, what kinds of courses can teens do online? So they can do maths and sciences and history and writing and literature and if it's out there you know if it's a subject 
it can usually be done at some online program or the other. So what is a good, um, what kind of questions are good questions for parents to have if they are investigating good online courses for their kids? Because we all know that there are also scam things that are offering courses in this and that that are going to give And they call it a high school credit and it's like, okay, you uh-huh. had 15 classes uh-huh. and that's that. It's, it's basically they need a good solid syllabus that's comparable to a textbook. So go to the library, check out a textbook and see if there's a, a, a close comparison and that your kid will get at least a Carnegie unit's worth of time. Very good. Another way that that 120 to 180 hours can can work for you as as you're evaluating things. Use that as a guide. Yeah. Yeah. And that the the quality of instruction is pretty good. So it's nice to kind of do a little research and say, you know, is this a respectable organization? So there's a lot of good ones. Yeah, you're often going to find customer reviews from other folks who have used it and and be able to get a feel. And your kids' needs are going to be unique because there's not one right 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 at home school. Um, If you have a kid who needs lots of teacher interaction, then Mm -hmm. you don't want them in an online course where everything was pre-recorded and where there's a little bit of email interaction maybe, but that's all. Mm -hmm. Um, And you maybe need something that is scheduled at a certain time and has live Mm -hmm. chat going during it and there's so many different options, and you need to take into account your child's learning style and um, how uh, how challenged are they feeling about this subject. Like if yeah. I if I put one of my kids in an online math class, it would be because I was totally out of my depth with the math because math mm-hmm. and I don't get along, and because that child was feeling the need for something beyond what we could comfortably do at home. So we would have wanted a lot of teacher accessibility right for an online math course right. but i have um i have someone in my family who could have just signed up for just about anything and as long as the materials were being put out there and they were having mm-hmm. to turn their homework in they could have taught themselves higher math because right. it just made sense to them so yeah so one of the questions to ask then is is this a live online class or a recorded online class and it's just according to the learner which one will be the best fit So let's recap. We are looking at five ways to earn credits on the homeschool high school transcript. And of course, the traditional textbook is one way to go. The logging hours to earn a Carnegie unit somewhere between 120 and 180 hours typically will will total a high school credit. Taking a class in your community and ideally that class being a syllabus structured class and considering possibly preparing for a CLEP test or an AP test, all of those are options. And then enrolling in your local college for a college class or taking something online. Indeed. It's five options and within each of those options, wow, there's a lot of variations. Indeed, because there's not one right way to homeschool. We cannot say it often enough. (laughs) It really really is so true and that's Mm -hmm. why we, we joke a lot and we laugh because we say it so often. But if there is one thing that the hearts at Seven Sisters could share with our younger sisters everywhere, with all the Seventh Sisters that listen, it's that it's okay. God made you, and he called you to homeschool your family, and it doesn't have to look exactly like somebody else's, because there really is not one right way to homeschool. Indeed. So be encouraged as you're looking at your high school years and the credits that are going on your child's transcript. Be encouraged and 
Um, be excited. It's okay to enjoy your family. <laughs> they're, they're nice. <laughs> they really are. They really are. So we hope that you enjoy your families and your homeschool this week and that you will check out sevensistershomeschool.com for lots and lots of blog posts on all of the things that we were talking about today. You will find all sorts of um, details and practical strategies there that will help you. And we look forward to you joining us next time at the Homeschool High School Podcast from sevensistershomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. See ya.